Hello again, and welcome to the Gospel Boldly podcast, where we proclaim with St. John saying, I, uh, I'm wanting to do the old Count Joy thing. <laughs> These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that I by believing God. you may have life in his name. We're your hosts. I'm Thomas Limke, who after 76, 77, 76 episodes of the Count It All Joy show still cannot get it out of my head. All right. And I am Pastor Eric Brown. Okay. Can I give a caveat, a warning to folks? By all means. I'm going to pull back the curtain. We've both had long days. Thomas had a long day. I had a funeral this morning, so I've been all... Yeah, yeah, just just come along for the ride with us. This will be fun. We will refresh ourselves after long days in the Word of God and see where it goes. All right, all right. And can I give? A, we actually got a question sent in to us for the Inquisition, so so I get to put Thomas to the quest, quest test with something not of my own creation. This is exciting. Excellent. So, all right, all right. So, all right, are we ready to dive on in? Yes, we're, I think we are. We're in John four. And I want you to to we we're I think we're really at thirty one, but can you start at twenty eight to get us a, a a rolling start on this? Absolutely. So if you would just do twenty eight through thirty, and that'll kind of like prime the pump. So the Samaritan woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, "Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?" They went out of town and were coming to him. All right, so Jesus has just had this great discussion with this woman at the well in Samaria. And remember, he shouldn't be talking to the Samaritan woman. Plus, she's a woman of, of less than stellar moral reputation. Yet, eh, yeah, Jesus still wants to talk with her. <laughs> Imagine that. The hmm. Son of God comes to seek and save the lost. Who would have thought? <laughs> well, And so she goes and gets people. She tells the town. The town starts cycling on out. So, so basically... We're going to have this conversation come up here between Jesus and the disciples. The very first word here is meanwhile. So so while you have this conversation with Jesus and the disciples, think of it almost as being interspersed between Jesus talking to the disciples, Jesus dealing with the people coming to him from town. Okay. So this is almost like an aside where, where the disciples who had been sent to town to go get food and supplies and stuff come back and suddenly all teaching is broke loose. <laughs> All right. All right. So let, let's dive on in. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? All right. This is one where if you're listening at home, just take your hand, hold it flat, and put it over your head. <laughs> like, like just, just over the head. The, the word there for food there is an interesting one. It, it's brosis. It, it, it's sustenance. It's meat. It, it, it's not just a ho-hum word for food. It, it's food. Is that I related mean, to the uh, ambrosia of the gods? I think it might be, but I'm not quite sure. I mean, it, it's definitely kind of close to it. Okay, just curious. I mean, so so it, it, it it's a good meaty term. In fact, the old King James translates, I have meat, which I actually kind of like better. Mm-hmm. Because it, 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 it's, it's that idea of dense food. It, 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 it's, I, I've got the meat, man. It, it, where's the beef? I've got the beef. Okay, I just used a commercial that's 30 years old. If you <laughs> haven't, if you have no idea what I said with what's the beef, go Google Wendy's where's the beef commercial. All right? It's a pop and it was culture a great, in your, in your yeah. brain 
this evening or morning or whenever you're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, <laughs> you know, maybe instead of thinking about how I need to try and and address modern pop culture, we should think of this as an educational opportunity for the whole vast history <laughs> of pop culture. Because because there's awesome stuff from before you're born. I mean. We we learned awesome stuff from like the seventies and such. I mean, Pet Rocks and things like that. And well, all the original Star Wars movies were out before I was yeah, born, so yeah. you know. And then even the sixties. I mean, so yeah, know your pop culture history. Anyway, Absolutely. We're, we're gonna deal with some meaty stuff here. So if you would then read, I, I like how did someone else bring him food? Why why did he send us into town? Did did, did he take food some from the Samaritans? I mean, ew. <laughs> So, so, I mean, you've got almost these worried disciples. Is someone else bringing our Jesus food? What What's going on here? All right. So, if you would read, how about through, well, not just read the rest of it. He has a big chunk of stuff. So, read 34 through 38. That'll work. We'll, we'll hear his speech. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Okay, disciples, let's think about this. Here we are in Samaria, where there has been a 950-year blood feud between Jew and Israelite, Jew and Samaritan, for, for almost a millennium, actually pretty close to a millennium by this point, they've ignored us. They, they, they want to have nothing. And now we have people from town coming to see the Christ. This is awesome. This is meaty stuff. And you know what y'all should be doing? You know, there's a whole massive crowd here. Let's see. Are you going to take this as an opportunity to preach? You know, to, to walk into the fields which are ripe and ready for harvest and, 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 and seal the deal, as it were? Or, or, are you going to ask me if I want a snack and ask me to stop and pause and, you know, go eat something? Now, now, Thomas, what is your current occupation? I sell cars. You sell cars, all right? So imagine suddenly you have 35 people show up on your lot, thousands of dollars of cash in their hands saying, we need to buy cars now. And and one of your fellow salesmen says, you know, you've sold a few cars today. Aren't you tired? Maybe you should come get a snack. <laughs> what would be your response? I routinely miss lunch when uh, the busy time hits, and this day would be no different. In fact, you I'm working st- a long shift. <laughs> you stra- and so this is, there's some exasperation here with Jesus in this, because it's, it's look, this is a meaty time. This is, this is hardcore, awesome preaching time. Look at this. Samaritans are here. This should be blowing your mind. This is the opportunity of, well, a lifetime, if you want to say it that way. I mean, but this this is mind-blowing. This would be suddenly like, this would almost be like suddenly you're captured by ISIS and then half the, the not half, the, the entire unit of, of evil villains that have captured you. 
really? No, actually, tell us more about this Jesus person. Mm-hmm. I would. I, I'd love to, but actually, you know, I, I've talked for a few minutes, and now I'm kind of tired. Can I have my piece of bread and water and go take a nap? What are you thinking? So, <laughs> so I mean, this is, this is, no, no, guys, you're, you're my disciples because you're going to go preach. And look, look, people, some, the whole town is coming, guys. See, they're coming out to us. Uh-uh-uh. Nothing. Others have labored, and you've entered into their labor. He gives the disciples a great thing. You're, everything's not starting with you. You aren't the groundbreakers. No, you are going to proclaim the fruits of my labor. Look, I've brought people here. They're, they're ready to hear. You, you, you should preach. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, really, all you're going to have to do, disciples, is point to what I have done. That's your job. Come on, get with it. Does that make sense? Yep. Do you see how this is? It, it's a very flowery type of way of doing it, which is what Jesus does often with the disciples, because, well, if he just kept hitting with a clue by four all the time, it'd be kind of <laughs> kind of dull. <laughs> but does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Uh, look, all, all the, all, think about this way, all the, the exhortations of the prophets, the book of Amos, all the things that he talked about, all the things those northern kingdom prophets, they're finally listening. Mm-hmm. This is great. It, you guys, this is a, it, it should be just one of the most miraculous, mind-blowing days of your life. And yet you're just kind of like, oh, you, you, you want to get something <laughs> to eat? Would you would you like a Snickers bar, Jesus? <laughs> All right. Now, see here, you can tell me because you're going through this book right now. I think in Sunday school, this uh, one sows and another reaps is from Ecclesiastes. Am I wrong? It, it sort of plays off of there's a time to sow, a time to harvest, a, a, a time to reap, a time to sow. I think I did that backwards. A time to sow, a time to reap. Yeah. Right. And, and then and, either there or Proverbs, you definitely get one sows and another reaps. All is vanity, or something like that. Ooh, ooh. well, but this kind of turns it into a good thing. Well, a lot. The whole point of even with Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes is God provides the appropriate time, the mm-hmm. right time, and and part of it is to just get with the time. It, it God is in control of things, and and if there is. I'm thinking uh, in terms of Ecclesiastes 3, because that's just where we've been. So that that's overarching my mind at the moment. Um, there's a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to reap, a time to sow. And, and if you try to sow during the time of the harvest, it's not going to work well. Right. Or if you try to harvest right after you've sown, it's not. Rather, when God gives you the harvest, that's when you harvest. Likewise, Guys, look, look what's going on here. Pay attention to what God is dropping in front of you. And I don't mean this in some sort of, oh, I'm going to go off in the corner and pray and try to figure out what God's hidden will is. Does God want me to wear red or blue today? I don't know. No, no, no. This is, look, God has dropped these people into your lap and they want here. So go talk. Go, go do it. Come on, get to it. So. Sounds good. All right. All right. Any other thoughts there? Nope. Oh, poor Jesus, exasperated. All right. Okay. Maybe one quick thought, just as I glance back up at the text. I I, I just saw it. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Harkens back to the fruit of life in the garden. That's just interesting. So, yeah, that's all I saw. 
We can go. Well, no, no, no. no. <laughs> that, that, let, let's run with that for a second. Okay. What do you, you, you've got you've got the fall being fixed. You have well, think about this because you're you're getting you're getting tremors here of of a thousand year break. The great one of the great tragedies of the Old Testament, the, the division of the kingdom of David, mm-hmm. is being fixed in Christ right here before their eyes. Oh yeah, true. You, you're having you're having well, we're we're gonna get fruit later on in John. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear, shall much, fruit. bear much fruit. Yeah. <laughs> that division there between Jew and Samaritan, even dare I say, approaching the the division between Jew and Gentile, being done away with. We're we're getting everything put back. We're we're having humanity restored. This is awesome stuff. Uh, you, you, you want a sandwich? We we, we got some roast beef. Huh? 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 No! All right. Okay. Cool. Now, now, keep in mind, this is almost on the side. I mean, it takes the, the main thrust of the story here. But we had in verse 30, meanwhile, or 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. So, so you've got the Samaritans coming. The disciples are on the other side urging him. Just read uh, uh, 39 and 40. Actually, through 41. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. So do you, do you see how, how rich of a preaching environment it is? I have never been asked to stay and preach an extra two days. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't come to me after the funeral and say, do you, do you think you could preach another five hours for us? I, I've i never been told on Sunday, oh, that was a great sermon. Can, can, can you riff one off of the top of your head on the, <laughs> the it, it just doesn't happen. Right. In fact, normally the thread I give at, at marriage rehearsals is if you don't pay attention, I'm adding more time to the sermon. And that, that makes them pay attention. But. <laughs> But no, the Samaritans are flipping out with joy that the Christ is coming and is preaching to them. And that's an awesome thing. I love it. All right. We'll take a quick break and be back on the other side with more in the Gospel of John. And we're back with the Gospel Bowley podcast where we're, we're moving towards the end of John chapter 4. And Jesus has been delighting over all the Samaritans who come and want to hear them, hear him preach, telling the disciples, come on, quit worrying about eating, it's time to preach. In fact, they ask him to preach two more days he has, and we're going to pick up again with verse 42. And if you would read 42. Uh, They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, now think about that. She tells them, they come, they hear. And what do they confess? Think about how solid and wonderful a confession this is. And we know that this is indeed what? Savior of the world. See? I, I mean, come on. That, that, that's, that's a fantastic confession of faith. They get it. They're, they're, I, I, I'm almost speechless. I mean, have we heard anyone else nail it as good as this? Not to this point, no. 
And, and how did it work? They came, they heard the word preached, and they believed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Look at this. This is, this is awesome. Even in Samaria, they're getting it. But uh, into every life, a little rain must fall. Carry <laughs> on. And, and uh, if you would read 43 through 45. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. This is one of the things that that John's gospel brings up, because most of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, really only talk about Jesus being in in Jerusalem the one time. Here it points out, no, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem for for all the feasts. He has a three-year ministry. So yeah, it's not as though he only shows up in Jerusalem. And whenever he shows up in Jerusalem, he he preaches more, which is probably part of the reason why when he actually gets crucified, they're whipped up to a frenzy. Because if this is the the third time he's been, the third time you do something in Hebrew, what is it? It's the ultimate one. Mm-hmm. So so that's probably when you're going to have the highest sense of messianic expectations whipped on up. Well, except you know, if you're expecting a new earthly kingdom, you kind of get disappointed, but that's neither here nor there. Sure. But so anyway, he's back up in Galilee. It's a good thing. Things are going well. High stuff. And then we get to a problem being presented to him. If you would jump in, take a 46 through 47. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Then this, uh, sorry, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. All right. So this is a, a good setup, right? I mean, all right. The guy skedaddles, walks over from Capernaum to, Gal- to uh, Cana and, and says, can you come back and heal my son? And then Jesus gives an interesting response. If you would read 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, there's a simple note in that that we miss in English because we don't translate the Gospels like we're from Texas. <laughs> If I were translating this, because I think this is how we should do it, I would translate it, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. It's plural. It's it's not just unless you specifically, you guy here who came, you won't believe. It's it's a commentary on the entirety of the world. Unless unless people see signs and wonders, they aren't going to believe, are they? Because what's the problem? He didn't just say, can you heal my son? No, no, you need to come on back and and heal him, because surely you need to do some hand-waving mumbo-jumbo type stuff. Remember, I think we talked a few weeks ago, or a while ago, about Elisha healing uh, Naaman in in, in 2 Kings, and he was all upset. Couldn't he at least wave his hands or something instead of just telling me to wash? Well, you almost got that same type of thing going on here where, where they're selling Jesus short. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knows that Jesus can heal, but he's selling short just who Jesus is. So so Jesus kind of goes, come on, do you, do you need to see a bunch of like wild and crazy miracles? Eh. Well, the guy continues on undaunted. If you would read 49 and 50. The official said to him, 
Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, note how Jesus doesn't do precisely what he wants. No, I, I, I'm not running back to Capernaum. I, I, I'm up here in Galilee for a re- in, in Cana for a reason. But go, your son will live. So Jesus does what he wants, but not precisely how he wants it. And then we get that wonderful phrase, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Thomas, is this any different than where, where we're at? Are, are we not given to believe the word that Jesus speaks? Right. I, I mean, this is kind of this is kind of the 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 emblem of what's going on, and, and he goes simply because Jesus says go. Yeah, don't worry. I, I, I've taken care of it. Your 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 son will live. It, it's all good. Go on. And he walks by faith. So so again, he hasn't seen his son. He doesn't get to have like Jesus stand and say, "Be well, son in the cube. Daddy. How are you? Oh yeah. yeah that, <laughs> no no it's. All right, don't worry about it. You go 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 back home. Get on home. Your your son's going to be fine. And he he walks by faith, not by sight. Here, and that's why this is a great example of of stuff. And, and I mean, this is where we're at. We we live on the promise of of God. Where we've been told our sins are forgiven. Do we always see that? Do we always feel that? Not per se. I, I can go to church on Sunday morning, and I can even be the one saying the absolution. And can I? on occasion still feel lousy about the stuff after services I was before. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get to see some technicolor sign of you're forgiven with fireworks explode over my head. But uh-huh. I have the word. I, 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 I have the word we hear. We will be raised to eternal life. Yeah. I, I, I still feel lousy sometimes, but God has said it. Therefore we believe. So, that track? Any Definitely. thoughts, comments? Nope. Then sweep the leg and finish the chapter. All right. Let's see. So Jesus said, oh, wait. Uh, uh, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, uh, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. All right, so we've got sign number two, miracle number two, evidence of who Jesus is number two. Now note, they didn't count Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman and tell her everything that he did. So this is, this is being witnessed for the stubborn, hard-nosed Jewish folks who aren't one. Okay, all right, we've got, we've got two here. Now compare this with the wedding at Cana. Note how in both times the servants who figure out what's going on first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, it's just kind of, all right, he's messing with expectations. You'd expect the high and the mighty to get stuff. No, no, no. The servants get it. The lowly get it. Why? I've come to elevate the lowly. This is the great reversal. The high and mighty, the proud will be brought low, but the low will be elevated. We, we, we're going to get things by, by faith. Again, Go take the water to the, the steward. Oh, look, it's wine. Go on your way. You're, the word of God takes effect even though we don't have that, that instantaneous proof of it that we would want. And yet, 
what Jesus says happens, and it's awesome, and it's great, and that's sign number two. All right. Now, now, Thomas, if you are a good Jew, how many signs do you need to confirm something? Two, but three is better. So two or three, at the word of two or three, win. so, so we're, we should be good to go. But if we get one more, that's the icing on the cake, hands down. This is settled. This is the Messiah. He's speaking with God's authority. All mm-hmm. right? Okay. All right? We're, we're good there? Any, any thoughts on that second, the second sign? It, it doesn't seem as, as technicolor as the wedding at Cana. I mean, the wedding at Cana is cool. I mean, water to wine, huge party. This is, I, I mean, even the people in, in Cana, where Jesus is still hanging out and preaching, wouldn't have heard about it till later. Right. Because he goes back home, so I mean, it would take a while for the, whoa, do, did you hear it? The, the kid actually did live. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would that would kind of get back to them like a day or two later. I mean, so. It's going to take a while to percolate out, yeah. 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 And any any other thoughts or, or insights there? Um, No, I don't think so. All right. Then let's continue on. Okay. Pick up at the beginning of chapter 5. All right. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, Bethesda rather, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. What? Right. Oh, okay. Pause there. All right. The the idea was that these were good waters. It was a good place of blessing, healing, kind of a good holy place. So it's a good place for the sick people to go. But it didn't really always work. All right. So that that's the idea. All right. So, all right. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. All right, there was some competition at this pool because occasionally the water would get stirred up and that was the time to go and that, that's when it's going to work. Because again, why would the water be stirred up? Well, when a wind blows. Wind, spirit, all that stuff. Are, so okay. this is the time for healing. And Jesus comes up on this guy who's lame and says, Do you want to be healed? Well, yeah, I want to, but the problem is... I'm slow. I can't get in the, the, the you, you've got the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. The blind can go more quickly than the lame can. They cut in line, man. <laughs> Maybe they don't see the line, whatever. They get in there first, and I keep missing out, man. I keep waiting for my shot, and it doesn't happen. So, so hey, may, may, ooh, ooh, this is a kind man. May, maybe you can elbow some of the blind folks out of the way and get me in front, all right? Hey, hey, yeah. hey I, I've, got, I've got an advocate. This is awesome. So, all right, that's what he's hoping for. All right, maybe I'll get into the pool now. Jump in. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Okay, I'm going to play Trump on the pool. I don't need no pool. Here, get on up and go home. You're healed. How's that for jumping the line? Woohoo! All right, there you go, guy. You're healed. Now, we're, we're, we're going to wrap it up here. This sounds like this should be awesomeness. Is there anything that you would think you'd be able to gripe about with this? Nothing whatsoever. All right. In theory. Here's the thing, Thomas. 
This is the hinge. Okay. After this in John, it's all downhill for Jesus. Everything starts going to pot for Jesus after this. Do you know why? Because I didn't finish the verse. The next line. <laughs> finish the verse, a new paragraph. Now that day was the Sabbath. Wah, wah, wah. And from there, everything's going to go downhill. Really, really what we're getting here, this is a, a change in John. For the next six and a half chapters, we're going to have Jesus mixing it up with the Jewish folks who don't like what's going on. You've had two, two signs, and you've just had Jesus heal a man who'd been waiting to be healed in Jerusalem. If anything, it should be on like Donkey Kong. The Messiah's here. Now come preach to us. Because, I mean, the Samaritans, when they heard, oh, man, he told this woman everything that she ever did, they wanted to hear him preach. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see the Savior of the world. And where are we going to get? Gripe instead. Do we go by faith in what God has said and live, or do we gripe? That's the question. Okay. Answered on the other side after we answer some other questions in the Inquisition. Back after this. Now begins the Inquisition. Inquisition, what a show! The Inquisition, here we go. We know you're wishing that we'd go away, but the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay. And we're back to the best version occasion time of the inquisition ever because we actually have a question from the audience and it's for you thomas so we're we're gonna we have momentum we have a question in from the audience we're gonna go with it so are you ready bring it on a i have a message coming in it says a question for thomas from the show oh boy for the show sorry why do you prefer presuppositional apologetics to evidential apologetics okay all right. And so I, I'm going to ask you that question, then also can you define what both of those are? So what is, what is presuppositional apologetics? What is evidential apologetics? Why do you prefer presuppositional? The definitions of both somewhat depend on who you ask, but I will give you my definitions and we'll work from there. Uh, an evidential approach to defending the faith, to apologetics, is one that takes certain pieces of evidence, hey, the name starts to make sense already, such as, for instance, uh, things in maybe the fossil record that prove the flood, or things in the archaeological record or the written record that would prove that Jesus died and rose again, etc., and hinges the case for Christianity upon those facts, again, found in the natural world, in history, whatever the case may be. Isn't uh, one of those like? A, is it Lee Strobel who did the uh, the case for Christ? Or yeah, was, yeah, very much a, an evidential right? approach. Right. Okay. Yeah, Lee Strobel's. He's got several. The case for Christ, and there's there's even more. But all right. So, um, but that'd be a good example of of evidential apologetics that would be easily found. Yeah, another one would be Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict, for instance. Okay. Things like that. Uh, all right. 
big people in the evidential camp would be folks like Craig Parton, John Work Montgomery, both Lutherans, incidentally. Um, so I'm kind of running against the grain here. <laughs> Things you might be able to find in your church library. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, presuppositionalism, uh, and, and this is where it gets a little tricky because those in the evidentialist camp can sometimes they'll claim pieces of this as well. But at its most basic, presuppositionalism recognizes that we all operate with what are called presuppositions, a basic worldview. You can think of glasses that you look through to see the world. Uh, the old saying is, to the jaundiced eye, everything is yellow. <laughs> presuppositionalism basically takes the approach of Sinners fallen from grace, having been affected by what are called the noetic effects of sin, which impact the intellect just as much as the physical body and anything else. Noetic referring to a noose, mind. In Thank Greek, you. Right. Yeah, All right. right. Okay. As opposed to Noah, the guy. No, no, this this <laughs> right. is about the mind. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Not, not to be confused with like the noetic covenant or something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Or the noetic covenant. Anyway, so presuppositionalism takes that understanding and says, because humans, uh, because mankind's minds are darkened in sin, you go to Romans 1 and you find that all have fallen, and as a result, uh, they have traded the things of God for the things of creation, worshiping the creatures rather than the creator, uh, even to the point of trading natural relations with, you know, one another, etc. Um, essentially, presuppositionalism takes it a step back further um, than, in my opinion, than evidentialism, and not doesn't just ask what do these what does this evidence tell us it asks how what tools am i using to interpret to lay out what the evidence tells me um one person looks at a specific set of evidence and sees one thing we've all had this experience in school right and another person looks at the same set of evidence comes to a completely different conclusion think about global warming or something like that i'm sure some of our listeners have probably had to write research papers or do debates and debate team or something like that Looking at the same facts, come to completely different conclusions. Why? Because the starting point is different. Okay. So I prefer presuppositional apologetics because it recognizes that fundamental reality that starting point is important. And if you start from a uh, perspective that does not recognize the sovereignty of God in all things, I'm sounding kind of like a Calvinist there, but <laughs> <laughs> that you will ultimately end up reasoning to absurdity because you're right. not starting with the proper, uh, what are called pre preconditions for intelligibility about the universe. So it's impossible to know anything about what is evidence or not without that. That's, that's my answer. Can I, can I put it this way? Mm -hmm. All right. See, see if this works. We as sinful human beings are able to live in denial. Yep. That that's our, we are going to assume we, we live in denial and presuppositional is going to be attacking that, that source or attitude of denial. Because yep. if I'm determined not to believe in God, it doesn't matter what you put in front of me. Uh, nope, 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 just don't see it. My eyes are covered. Exactly. And rather, let, let, let's talk about that, why you're denying things. Let's get to the, the does, that, does that kind of work for Very it? much so. Think of those of you who have read them, or, or how well this one didn't get made into a movie, so it doesn't work that way. But those who have read the Chronicles of Narnia, you get to the last book. And you have the dwarves, I'm giving away some of the ending, spoiler alert, uh, you have the dwarves pitched into the, the, uh, the barn. And on the other side, all the main characters, you know, oh, it's, it's basically heaven on the other side of the door. But the dwarves are sitting there in the dark, thinking that cake is turnips and, and that they're sitting there in horse droppings because they, their preconceptions 
lead them to believe that since I went through the barn door, I must be in a barn. And nothing outside of that can enter into their mind because their preconditions, their pre, sorry, their preconceptions, their uh, presuppositions won't allow for it. All it's right. it's uh, presuppositionalism aims to take those blinders off first before you go to the evidence. It's not anti-evidence. It's you, you deal with those things first. The evidence is something that you can come to once the frame of reasoning is has been dealt with. All right. Make sure we're operating under the same kind of rules for, for what counts, and then we can get to what counts. Right. All right. Cool beans. Great, uh, great resource for people just wanting to kind of figure it out in, in the first place is uh, Dr. Jason Lyle's uh, The Ultimate Proof of Creation. There's a DVD series of lectures that he did, and there's also a book, uh, which the book to me is somewhat dry, so I would recommend the lectures. There's pictures, and he's a great speaker. It's just a little bit of a dry book, um, but it's great on this subject. Good good opener. All right. Cool beans. All right. So so to our faithful listener who sent in that question, we hope you enjoy. Also, you can send in your own questions. Leave it on our Facebook page, our Twitter feed. You can message Thomas or I, and we'll bring it on up. So yeah, if you've got questions, bounce them off of us. We'll try to answer it and Definitely. be entertaining and do so. All right. All right. So what's your Thomas? What's your Thomas question? What's your question, Thomas? Uh, my question is this. You mentioned earlier, we were talking about sowing and reaping. God is in control of all things. He sets a time for all of these things, etc. cetera. Uh, as we're living our lives, you know, we, we encounter problems and it sometimes feels like if anything is going to happen, it's going to happen because I'm doing something. I'm being the one who moves in the world to get outcome X, Y, or Z. What does God have to do with any of this? This is one where I will say, I I, I love being an American. Okay, I I, I really do. What's going to come up is going to sound not very patriotic. Every culture has its warts because we're all sinful folks. All cultures are full of sinful people. They're all going to be. But but here's some of our warts. Okay, as Americans, we are hyper individualistic. Mm-hmm. We are are taught from a a young age that everything hinges upon us. Smokey the Bear says that only you can prevent wildfires. (laughs) Really, I I, I hate to say it, I'm not really doing anything out in the country. Especially with all the stuff in California, I mean, just really my life in Illinois is not going to hinge upon that. That, That's nothing, but that's the rhetoric. Or, Or Thomas, you know, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. Well, yes. Okay, we're, we're recording tonight, and the Cubs are playing their wild card game tonight. I hope by the time you guys listen to this tomorrow that, that we're going on to the next round. But I, it's not going to hinge upon me. One, I, I'm not on the team. I, I didn't get to grow up to be the third baseman for the Cubs. Chris Bryant's probably better than I am anyway, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Two, I, I'm wearing my... Le- I'm wearing a fun shirt now. It's the Chicago Cubs jersey on the back. It says Jedi Knight, so it combines Cubs and Star Wars. Even my Chicago White Sox-loving aunt bought it for me as a birthday gift because it was just so awesome. All right, I'm wearing a lucky shirt. Is that really going to have an impact upon the game? No, not <laughs> really. But, but I mean, we're, we're conditioned to think everything hinges upon us. And conservative folks... This is Rush Limbaugh's old rugged individualist. That's what makes America great. You want something done right, you do it yourself. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the scriptures tries to do over and over is to pull us out of the immediacy of our own life. We're, We're caught in the moment. We're stuck in the moment. And in that moment, we think everything hinges upon us. 
because we don't see everything. We don't see things from God's perspective. We don't, well, okay, I, I will give an example. Balaam's donkey. Balaam's on doing his thing, and the donkey stops him from going. He gets mad, beats the donkey, and the donkey says, why are you beating me? Don't you see the angel there ready to lop off your head if we keep going? I've saved your life, chief. That was my nice paraphrase. <laughs> we don't see all the things. And so what happens is in the moment, we think it's all about us and what we do. No, no, God really is in control. And, and our days are numbered. Our days are ordered according to his ordering. He has awesome stuff in store for us. Now, it might not be awesome days right now. It might be, yeah, we, we go through some suffering and hardship and, and quandaries. But no, God has told us we're, okay, he, I, I'm going to jump back to John. He told the guy, go, your son will live. Well, he's told us, go, you're, you're, you are forgiven. You have life everlasting. So, so what comes up between now and then, between his second coming, I'm not going to say who cares. That's a little too flippant. But go about your life, dare I say, as our show is titled, boldly. Mm. trusting that that you are forgiven and that God will put you to use. This is one of the things that I love. There is a great word in Greek, peripateto. If you are in the one-year series at your church, you're going to have the, the healing of the man with, with um, who's paralyzed, and, and he'll be raised, and you'll say, go up and go, and, and, and there's he walks. And that word for walk there is peripateto. It's not a I'm walking directly to the fridge. It's just kind of walking around, wandering around. Go go, go wander through your life because you know what? God will put you where you need to be. It's not on your shoulders to determine everything. And that really is a wonderful freeing thing because wherever you are at, you go as a baptized, forgiven child of God. That is true wherever you have wandered yourself into. And God can put you to use. God will put you to use. You remain his forgiven child. So don't try and act as though everything hinges upon you. The hinge of the world is Christ crucified on the cross. That's where everything hinges. Remember that. And and take a deep breath. Remember that God's in control. And then go go live your life boldly. So does that, does that kind of answer it? In a- exactly what I wanted to hear or needed to hear or... I was asking, it answers it. It's what I'm saying. (laughs) This is the great Luther quote that drives so many people nuts. Luther says, sin boldly, but believe more boldly still. Uh Well, we shouldn't go. No, no, no. Luther's point is, you know, when you go about your life, you're going to stumble. You're going to be not knowing everything going on. You're going to make decisions that are bad. And when you get caught with that decision, what do I do? Go, go do? go, Go make your decision go. And you know what? It's going to be sinful. Because you know what? You're a sinful human being. You're going to muck it up. But you know what? Christ Jesus died for your sin. So go live your life with boldness. And when you fail, so be it. Confess your sins, repent, and go on with life. Because you know what? Christ Jesus said, I've died for you and you have life in my name. You do have life. Believe it. Go. Get up. Believe more. Believe yet more boldly still. Don't let the world tell you everything hinges upon you. No. That's not our presupposition. Uh, do you like that? Yep. Our presupposition is that Christ Jesus is our Lord and Master. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear fruit. Not so you better bear fruit. No, no, really. Jesus is going to have you bear fruit because 
he's God and he's awesome and he loves you and he works in you and through you and he's given you forgiveness in his son. Christ Jesus really has died for you. And man, we are totally not going to get back to any more John, are we? <laughs> With All only right. about 30 seconds of the program left. I think the best we could do is set ourselves up for a home run next week. For next week. Remember, we're going to deal with some presuppositions. All right. Are the Jewish people looking for nice happiness the way we want it, or are they looking for the Savior of the world? They're not looking for the Savior of the world, so they don't like what they see when they see Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. All right? All right. And next week, we'll get to that. We'll dive on in, and then it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Sounds good. Questions or comments can always be sent to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash gospel to boldly, or of course the Higher Things Facebook page, which you should like as well. And uh, you can always interact with us between episodes there. So I guess goodbye for now. Have a great one, guys. 